Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of 14 years and a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, Fortress Fortney here. I'm a former competitive bodybuilder, former editor at MuscleMag, and a strength enthusiast. Ooh, and this is Phil Stevens. Um, I'm an athlete at Powerlifting Highland Games. I also run Strength Guild, which is my facility here in Topeka, Kansas, and I am the president and creator of the USSF. Right on. We do powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman now. That's right, strongman too. Yep. Uh, we have with us Joe Shalero. Uh, Joe has been a member of our uh, listener community for a while. Joe is about to finish his master's degree uh, in exercise physiology. He's a competitive powerlifter, and he just organized very well, I might add, a strength workshop uh, in here in Ohio, in Akron. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Joe. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're just going to start with just a wee bit of news here. Uh, you know what? I think the first thing I'm going to do just really quickly is mention last week's episode. I got over two dozen responses, actually, in various forms about last week, just the silly bumpers and whatnot that we included. In a way, it showed me how big our listenership has become, you know, just to get that many. Most of these were, you know, laughing uh, there were a couple people who either didn't see the humor or even detect the satire in that episode. So let me spell it out <laughs> before we move on. The last episode was a parody. You know, those bumpers, the titles that uh, I gave to everybody, that sort of thing, that was meant to mock mainstream media. And I was railing against this. If you're a regular listener, you know I was railing against this on the show about two weeks ago because I was forced to endure a morning show. And then later... I sort of made the mistake, and I'm not going to make any friends by saying this, but I clicked on the Pro Bodybuilding Weekly podcast, and it was so full of exactly the kind of, you know, cheesy ads and sound bites and stuff that I was reeling from from the morning show. I just I thought we would mock it anyway. Uh, I, it, that kind of thing insults our intelligence. I think I don't know. I don't know why we can't just be more straightforward with things, but maybe that's just an opinion. So. Anyway, moving on. I don't know if you guys heard anything about testosterone dangers lately. It's back in the news. I don't know. They didn't let this stuff die. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, this started recently. I saw, you know, those ads from lawyers, like kind of the ambulance chaser kind of lawyers. They're hoping that you can sue and they can get a piece of it kind of thing. Um, well, they were... It was sort of a scare tactic ad from this law firm about testosterone. And, you know, have you been prescribed testosterone injections or gel? Contact us because of all this tragedy, you know. And I'm like, oh, here we go. So let me just share a few things quickly. The story starts uh, in November 2013, so fairly recently. It says, uh, this is from Bahar Galipur, uh, LiveScience.com. It says, men with signs of heart problems who take injections of testosterone or use gel containing the hormone may have an increased risk of heart attack or stroke, a new study finds. Uh, it goes on to say, in 2011, 5.3 million prescriptions of testosterone were written, uh, often for age-related decline in the hormone or to improve sex drive and bone density and muscle mass. Now, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You know, if athletes use it for muscle mass, it's evil. But once the average guy wants it or the politicians themselves want it, now it's okay? I, I don't know. But anyway, um, so this is a study done, let's see, uh, University of Texas. Uh, they had taken a bunch of veterans, and um, average age was 60. 1,200 of them were put on testosterone therapy. They followed up for 2.4 years after they had angiography done. Anyway, it says 26% of the men who received the testosterone therapy had a heart attack or stroke. And, and this is only 20% of men who didn't get the therapy had a heart attack or stroke. So 26 versus 20%. I don't know. But anyway, you can 
interpret that however you want. Uh, the title of that one was Testosterone Treatments Linked with Risk of Heart Problems and Deaths. So I don't know. The, the data doesn't seem to sound that dramatic to me. But So that leads to this new one. This is from uh, New York Times, and this is very new. January 29th, 2014, new concern about testosterone and heart risks. Uh, this is from Anahad O'Connor. Anyway, a large new study found that prescription testosterone raised the risk of heart attacks in older men and in middle-aged men with a history of heart disease. Uh, and they talk about how it, you know, it gets prescribed for low T, including symptoms like fatigue, low sex drive, loss of energy. I think a lot of guys don't realize uh, the crushing fatigue. It's not just something like low sex drive. There's a you know, real connection with fatigue and loss of concentration, you know, mental focus. And anyway, this says, uh, by itself, the new study, which was not a randomized trial, right? So it's not that sort of gold standard um, approach. It says, may not tell us very much, says Dr. Michael Lahr, director of the cardiovascular sciences uh, at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. So already they're going back and forth a little bit. Um, but it says the new study was published on Wednesday in the journal Public Library of Science One Plus One, uh, funded by the National Institutes of Health. They tracked 56,000 older guys and middle-aged guys. They looked specifically at heart attacks. It says men 65 and older had double the rate of heart attacks in the months after starting the drug. So, uh, again, I'm presuming it's gel or injection. I'd have to go back and look. Um as did those younger than 65 who had a previous diagnosis of heart disease. It says there was no evidence of greater risk in younger men without a history of heart problems. Now, you might think, well, how are they, what are they trying to do with this? Are they going to try to link it to low HDL, good cholesterol? You know, I'm going through my usual list of what they're trying to blame. Uh, it says testosterone increases the production of red blood cells. And, and, you know, back in the day, a lot of bodybuilders actually claimed that they were anemic in order to be put on testosterone therapy. Um, but it says that can make your blood thicker and more viscous. And that's part of a concern. If you have a previous history, uh, you're not like a healthy person because you could have narrowed vessels and thicker blood through narrow vessels, uh, you know, it could be a risk. Um, one of the things I might point out is if you're concerned about that, if you are on testosterone uh, gel or injections, and I've heard that the gel doesn't uh, cause erythropoiesis in that thick blood quite as much as the injections. But in any case, donate blood on a regular basis. I mean, that'll drop your hematocrit right there. Um, anyway, just a thought. Anyway, it says, um, although testosterone levels naturally decline with age, testosterone therapy is approved only for men with hypogonadism. You know, they can't make enough. Anyway, one of the final comments here says, Dr. Peter J. Snyder of the University of Pennsylvania Medical School uh, said he and his colleagues found it plausible that testosterone might actually protect against heart disease, and I've actually seen papers on that, um, by, in part by reducing body fat and helping improve blood sugar metabolism. So, um, you know, almost mixed messages coming out of the news, but just in case anybody her, had heard that, again, New York Times, January 29th, very new stuff, um, and I don't know, you know, they always put these dramatic titles on here, like linked with deaths and heart attacks and, you know, we need more warnings on the labels. Well, if there's no warning, then fine, put a little warning. But um, when I hear other advertisements, and I don't want to be so pro-T, you know, that I'm too biased here, but you see ads on TV all the time. The side effects include stuff like cancer, death, you know, I'm like, well... You know, and those usually happen in a fairly short time frame, too. My question on that study, too, would be how many of those 65-year-olds were relatively sedentary until they were put on their tea, and then they decided, I want to get young again, and they go out and start exercising their butt off, too, at the same time. Well, actually, that's funny you said that, Phil, because along along very similar lines, that's clever, because they said one of the things it might have done is, this is almost humorous, raise their sex drive so they engaged in vigorous sex more often, and that killed them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they go from, it's just like anybody that, an overweight person that goes and buys a freaking a weight loss pill, all of a sudden they start working harder because they're taking something. Same thing can be said for that. You know, I want to be young again, so you know they start taking something, they go from a life of being a slug to a life of going out and pushing things hard and keel over from their past 20 years of being slug-like. Yeah. 
You know. Yeah. Actually, the blood viscosity argument is one of the better ones I've heard. Yeah. Again, and it explains why if you have previous heart disease, yeah. then this could make it worse. Yeah. You know, but uh, no, you're right. And you know what? We can't overestimate, too, when it talks about helping with uh, carbohydrate handling, you know, in the diet and that sort of thing. But um, one of the things that I can't overlook also, I think, would be if your joints are very stiff and you really are low testosterone, this could actually make you feel good enough you can get active as long as you don't get too stupid and jump in too hard, you know, too fast. So, I mean, you know, you could see some other th- other benefits and stuff here. I don't know. They, there was always that controversy over women in hormone replacement therapy, you know, and some of the risks. Um, and maybe they're taking a similar track with men. Yeah. But I agree with you, Phil. I mean, our listeners it's a fairly unique audience. We're very physically active, and that just changes the whole picture. So, anyway, testosterone, scariness, I guess, from the journalists back in the news. I got two things. Um, The first one is I just wanted to say congratulations to one of our listeners, Sean Henry. Uh, He posted on the Facebook page um, to tell us that he was selected as Male Transformation of the Week and to give a big shout-out to Phil and Lonnie and Rob for making his cardio informative and entertaining. He lost 100 and, oh, what did he lose? 127 pounds in two years. Went from 40% body fat at 300 pounds to 7% at 173. Whoa. Yeah, it's uh, exceptional. Yeah, so, you know, just a great transformation. He wanted to thank us for, you know, helping out a bit and things like that. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to him on the show. Um, the next thing is, is I put it up today. It's pinned at the top of the Facebook page, um, a new shirt, a new Iron Radio shirt. And so it says Iron Radio on the front, and then on the back it has the, the Socrates quote. Uh, what a disgrace it is for a man to grow old without ever seeing uh, the beauty and strength of which his body is capable. And so if anybody wants that, it's available. And I got it this time. I put it up in a regular T-shirt, and then for a few dollars more, you can get a tri-blend in a women's or men's cut. Um, go to the Facebook page, or you can go to my site, strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com, and go to the blog, and then it's under products and services. So Sweet. Uh, we're doing. I'm doing a two-week pre-sale on it this time, because last time it, it worked great, but it's hard to guess what sizes people have. So we ran out of, like, extra larges really fast. So it's going to be easier if we just do the pre-sale, and then I know exactly what you want, and then I'll make them. So. I always like that quote. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good, good quote. So it seems popular. Everybody seems to like it. So. Okay. That's all I got. Uh, anything from the frozen north, Fortress? Absolutely not. I've, I'm sick <laughs> again for a third time in the last month. You know, that's because well, you we live were, up there. You were supposed to be bringing us the Winter Olympics update, Rob. You're supposed to be following that. I was wondering what the... Uh, oh, really? Yeah. What are the f- figure skaters doing this year? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, uh, no, I, the I, curling's big up there. You should be following that. Yeah, I'm not real big on curling. <laughs> My dad likes curling. But... It's an amazing sport. It takes physical prowess to excel at that sport. Oh, don't be slamming on curling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't play it, but hey, whatever. It's just another sport. I want to see. I want to see Fortress get into figure skating. I want to see your big three hundred pound butt out on the ice, doing pirouettes. Well, I think yeah, I think you would see some uh, some crazy um, feats of of live <laughs> speed and grace. Without, without they would probably have to thicken the ice. There you go. So, yeah. yeah. You ever see that joke gif where they have that? figure skater girl that's going like a billion miles an hour in her little spin and she uh they, they have her drill through the ice oh no i haven't seen that no <laughs> oh boy okay well let's not be rude to joe so thanks again for coming on joe um uh, let's no let's start off with uh who you are explain yourself in better detail than i did please uh sure so like you said, I'm a competitive powerlifter. I'm wrapping up my master's degree in ex-phys right now. I've uh, been competing for the last couple of years, and uh, I'm also a columnist for Elite FTS. I've been doing that for the past uh, six months or so. Um, when I was younger in high school, I did athletics, but I was kind of on the other end of the spectrum doing more endurance-based sports. I was a pretty tiny dude at one point, I think, junior year in high school when I was boxing. I weighed like 145 pounds, so I was pretty uh, – pretty tiny guy I did some a little bit of weightlifting but really wasn't into it that much and then uh 
as I started getting to college, got more into it, and then uh, decided to start competing after I had a heart infection, and it kind of started me at square run one, couldn't really do anything, and then I decided, you know, since I'm starting from scratch, you know, I really should pick a goal to train for, so decided to pick a powerlifting meet. It was about, uh, I will say like nine or ten months from that point um, to give me something to start planning towards, so I, uh, I started planning for that meet, did it, and fell in love with it so since then i've been uh competing started getting into some coaching uh, i work at the university of akron uh, where we had that seminar and uh kind of doing a mix of some different things so it's kind of a little bit about me what did you love about it you said that you kind of got bit and love it so uh what was it that did you just grow or get really strong really fast or what happened uh, i think i just really liked the like just the objectivity of i mean there's really no fooling yourself. I know I, I've always been a big fan of bodybuilding too, and I had a, a lot of friends and uh, people that competed. And um, you know, I go to shows all the time, and I debated doing that, and uh, I still might at some point. But I really like going to powerlifting meet. It was like for the most part, it was like whatever numbers you put up is 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 it. You know, I mean, unless there's a problem with the judging or something, it's pretty much where you're at. So. I liked uh, the fact that there was really no line to yourself. I mean, you, you trained for it, and whatever you could do, you did. Um, and then I also just met, I've met so many cool people from it. Uh, it really gave purpose to my training and everything. And, uh, yeah, I just I enjoy the training. I enjoy what I've learned from training, what I've learned from the other competitors and people that I spend time around. And, uh, obviously, like you said, I've been listening to this show for a while, so listening to you guys talk about lifting and some of the guests and everything just kind of further piqued my interest so i've really enjoyed it i'm glad we didn't kill it for you <laughs> yeah yeah uh so how old are you joe uh 25 25 um i know you're a humble guy but what about lifting numbers can you give us some bests since you're competing in powerlifting sure my best raw lifts right now are 570 squat 400 bench 600 deadlift uh, the last about six months or so, I've been starting to train some gear. Uh, so I'm starting to work in that and trying to pick a geared meet to do just to get the experience in that. So my my squat's around 800 right now. Um, uh, and then I'm just starting to start working into a bencher. So we'll kind of see where that's at and everything. So um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So okay. my goal right now is to do a... Uh, in the next couple months, pick a geared meet to do, and then uh, hopefully off that meet, qualify for another meet in Columbus in the fall, and kind of in between those, since there will be about six months in between, uh, do a raw meet in between those, so that's kind of the game plan right now. Okay. Hey, now, I want to ask you some specific questions after the break about, because I was impressed when you, you're with your answer about your choice of raw and equipped you know because usually people get so uh judgmental about the other side and whatnot but uh let's go to break quickly when we come back uh, i want to ask you some questions about the uh, workshop that you organized some of the things that you learned and what it was like to be actually a coordinator you know maybe some of our listeners are even interested in putting on an event and that sort of thing so uh, we'll talk about that and then i'll pick your brain about some other things sounds good Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks.
Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. back everybody after the short break there and i just had one thing that i wanted to ask joe um as well so we can kind of put things into context what what weight class are you competing in uh all the weight all the meets i've done so far i've competed at 220 and my next meet i'm gonna go ahead and stay at 242 so probably get a few meets in at 242s moving forward sounds good we can eventually get up to that weird betweener class the 275 class that i'm in it's an odd class yeah, Seems I was that everybody like, that ventures into 275 stays there for like a meet and then goes to 308. <laughs> yeah. <But. clears throat> yeah, I like gaining weight. And I'm like, I was like starting for a little bit. Like right now I'm like 235 and I was like up to like 241. And I was like, ah, I don't really want to skip a whole weight class. I should probably compete in 242 <laughs> once. And then, I'll, and then I'll go up to, you know, go up the next one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how are you doing that, Joe? Now the nutritionist in me is curious. Um are you purposefully eating on a schedule? Are you just trying to enjoy food and eat more of it? What are you doing there? Uh, I pretty much have eaten similarly the last couple of years. Um, I've, I've enjoyed, like, I've been, my goal has been to steadily gain weight, but just make sure that my strength increases are matching the weight gain. And I'm not just throwing on, like, too much sloppy weight. But uh, usually the way my body's been working with how I eat it, I'll gain, like, five or eight pounds at a time, hold it for, like, six months eight months and then i'll kind of break the plateau and gain some more so i usually i mean my eating is pretty basic i don't i've gotten a pretty decent feel for like macros that i need and everything so i'll unless i'm trying to tighten up right before a meet and kind of lose some extra fat then or extra kind of just bloat weight i pretty much kind of just eyeball things so i eat a lot of i go to a farm to get my meat uh so i get a lot of meat from the farm chicken and beef and stuff uh, I try and do as good of a job as I can with vegetables and stuff, and then just try and keep the junk to you know one meal instead of four. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, what are you filling up as fuel, like the calories? Like your what are your carbs and fat choices? Uh, I usually try and keep it like I mean I kind of hate the term clean because it's hard to differentiate what's clean and what's not, but I try and keep them kind of cleaner earlier in the day. So, like typically. I'm at my desk all day uh, at work for the most part. So during the day, I usually kind of keep my carbs lighter in the in the earlier part of the day, and I'll have it from like you know I'll make a sandwich with some oats and stuff. I'll have uh, chicken with some uh, rice or something like that. Kind of like the a little more of the healthier stuff at the beginning part of the day. Uh, I'll make sure I usually get about an hour before training get a decent carb meal because I've tried training on no carbs at times, and I found that like I'm good for a little bit, but then about 45 minutes in, if I'm still working, I pretty much start to get pretty shot. So um, usually I have like a meal with some carbs in it, like sandwich with oats or something uh, about an hour before training. And then uh, after training, kind of typical post-workout stuff, a shake and some carbs. And then later in the evenings, usually when I'll have some of the bigger meals and stuff. So I guess I kind of eat a little heavier towards the end of the day. So usually when I get home from work is when I like to make a big meal and if i have some junk during the day it's usually in the evening when i enjoy it yeah 
Yeah. So. Well, you're going to get a lot of agreement out of, I mean, Phil and his blood sugar squat magic, you know, with the blood sugar control and stuff. And Fortress is always talking about, you know, being unable to lift on a empty tank. So, uh, in fact, Phil, yeah. you always say that it's more important. You like what you eat before, even more than after in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, I, I pay attention to my calories before and my, my carb intake specifically before more than after. Because I know by the time, if I'm training three or four times a week, if I train one day, I'm going to have at least a day. And I'm going to have some carbs. So it's not like I'm going to be depleted coming to the next one. So, yeah, I just make sure I try and pack something in before I train. I just train better that way. I've done the low-carb thing, too, training. And I'll get through the session. But I feel a lot better and I'll move a lot more weight if I have, have some carbs in me for it. So, yeah, I always try yeah. to uh, eat a lot heavier, about 48 hours before my next session. I'll, I'll ramp up all my pretty much everything. I'll... Uh, <clears throat> Not even, <clears throat> excuse me. Not even be too particular about what I'm, what I'm taking in. A lot of pizza and stuff. Yeah, I don't know about you guys too, but like, I think you might guys might mention this before, but I found that like, around training, like a few hours afterwards, my appetite's kind of shot. It usually yep. on my off days that I want to slam all the food, and I think yep. that actually, like you said, like, forty eight hours before, like if I eat, especially on like a bench or a squat day, if I eat real good and eating a lot of food and get a little bit of a bloat going and stuff the day before usually that next day my training feels awesome but yeah. if i have a really bad day eating it's kind of hard to catch up a couple hours before training yeah absolutely <clears throat> i agree totally absolutely yeah and that's one of those practical kind of choices too you know people focus so much about the post-workout and we were talking about that rob and i actually last week uh, and there's some reality to that sort of stuff but I agree. It's always sort of amazed me the the effects, the acute effects, you know, the anti-fatigue of just having your muscles full of glycogen just because you've been chowing for a day or two. Well, um, wouldn't you agree that that whole, yeah, the post-workout thing, window thing is there, but that was overblown due to marketing, in my opinion, by supplement companies. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it's but, very sellable. To, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome to sell us five pounds of maltodextrin for 80 bucks, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, the truth is it's really hard not to look across the course of a day, too, you know, because, I mean, knock back the food, you know, nobody's getting huge on 2,000, 2,500 calorie diets. And so if you focus too much in the after workout period, you just miss too many opportunities, I think, you know, so. Um, but let's let's talk about uh, some other things here, Joe. Um, the workshop that you put on. What's some of the fav, you know, your favorite takeaway things from that? Did you? Uh, I know you're a humble guy. Um, what did you learn from that, from the different speakers or whatever? I um, I learned a lot from all of you guys because, and part of the reason I brought you guys in specifically was, you know, I kind of I didn't want to just. I think sometimes when people hold events or do kind of educational things like that, it's easy to like get three people who are just basically the same person and as much as that can be great it's nice to get different perspectives so you know julia leduski has a little bit different perspective than jl does you know jl is different a little different perspective than you do but your guys's philosophies are pretty much the same but the your areas of expertise differ so um like what i took away from julia is that i really liked was um I've done I've worked strength conditioning in private setting, but I've never done it in the college setting. So her kind of relaying how they work with athletes and stuff in them and some of her uh, experiences and, and kind of the little things you don't really think about that much was was really cool listening from her. Um, so I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, and then um, I always learn a lot listening to Jail Holdsworth talk. I've worked for him before and it's always it's always good chat and training with them. So he's always got a unique perspective, uh, about training athletes. So, um, and then obviously your presentation was really good. I think I like that topic and I know you had been doing the research on it before. Cause I think especially so many of the students is, you know, most average kids that are training are taking some sort of pre-workout. And I think, uh, you know, they don't really think about, you know, they're just kind of looking like you guys have talked about before, just kind of grabbing off the shelf. And I think understanding how that stuff works is, uh, is a good kind of tool in their uh, toolbox for, for planning things. You know, calling pre-workout stuff a tool is, is a good point. I think what I see students do is too often, you know, they're using them so often it's going to interfere with their recovery and that kind of stuff. But, you know, my sister actually, who's a, a surgeon, 
she used to rip on my brother and I when we were in our 20s about, oh, you guys, that's such a crutch. You know, you shouldn't have to use all that caffeine and stimulant stuff before you work out. And it's just funny now because it's so pervasive. You know what I mean? She's, I think she's painted into a corner kind of because everybody yeah. does that. I mean, absolutely everybody, I think, is doing pre-workout stuff. The only risk would be like we've talked about before a little bit, which is doing it too much. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I liked um, – what Julia had to say too, um, she did um, put forward, in in my opinion, a picture that might have been just a little too rosy on um, private business versus working like for a larger, I don't like a university or something. Because I mean, one of the things that I always think about is steady paycheck, you know. And mm-hmm. although she did make a good point about you got, you know, you love it, you know, you do this because you love it and that sort of thing. And I even had a student who was so impressed. Um, she kind of pursued her, pursued Julia to uh, intern under her a little bit, you know. So cool. Yeah, but it was very cool to talk about strength as a job. I thought that was a very cool topic in your different options, you know, and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I think I think so many of the students of you know I got I we had about sixty or so exercise science students there from Akron, and I have I have like thirty students that work for me at the school, and I think so many of them just they're not like they'll learn some strength conditioning stuff in their classes, but they don't understand that you have to be a a good business person. You can't just be a good coach. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of good coaches out there, but if you're going to own a facility or something, you gotta, you have to know business or else your place is going to go down the tube. So I think understanding like how you handle working with a parent or a client versus working with a coach at a school and stuff. I think those things are cool things that the students, they don't really, they're not really hearing a lot, so it's kind of a good, uh, good thing to at least kind of spark their interest in in thinking about that. Yeah, I think a lot of exercise science programs really should push like a business management elective, at least a course, you know, because they get so excited about a lot of the theory and metabolism and all this sort of thing. But yeah, you're right. Then they go to open a business and they just they just have <laughs> no basis. In fact, that's why I want you to come talk to that one group. You know, Skype yeah. in like we do. Um, yeah. Because you've been able to build a business, you know. Yeah, and... oh, yeah, it's totally different. I mean, it's, it's you've got to be, uh, like you said, you, you have to have a pure love for the for the game. If you're going to make it in here, you really have to love training. Um, but, yeah, you've got to learn business, too. Um, yeah. You're just not going to make it. A lot of people like to look at training, and they see, oh, it's glorious, this and that. It's like a lot of people want to be an artist. And then they realize, i got to make money at it. And uh Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't want to disagree at all with what Julia said. I actually agree with her very much. Um, in fact, I thanked her for some of what she was saying after the event because she's, she's pushing students to go volunteer, shadow, you know, people who work in strength conditioning, get a get an idea about what they're heading into, you know, instead of sort of this sanitized text, textbook version. Um, but one of my concerns is, and Rob, you can chime in on this if you want to, but I mean, if you just try to open a business as sort of a personal trainer type person, you're running some serious risks. I mean, especially if you're in a small town, you know, you've got to get more toward an urban center where there's enough people. You've got to market yourself. I mean, when you do it yourself, to me, there's always that scary kind of risk. You know what I mean? That nobody's providing your weekly paycheck. I mean, that's got to be sort of the scary side of that maybe. Yeah, um, and, you have to, and you know – there's two ways of going to you're either a specialist or you're a general guy and if you're a general guy you got to kind of get used to just you know training 400 people a day and if you know and it, it, it can be very very tiring um you know and if you're a specialist that's good too because you could probably charge more for like specific you know specificity and, and different athletes <laughs> and stuff but but even like that you're saying lonnie you have to make sure that you choose your location and you know the the kind of um you know um opportunities that exist where you are and all that kind of thing and it can be scary for sure well she's obviously done a good job doing it and you know and she didn't sugarcoat it she talked about long hours she talked about getting you know some of the payoff is not just in always just in cash but in personal connection with some of her clients you know where she'd actually go to some of these you know uh, these kids or these young people's uh like football games and that sort of thing and you know their parents are almost surprised that she's there because she's that interested And, you know, and I can actually speak to that even as a nutritionist. You do get more invested in people you work with, you know. Like, I don't think I would usually watch a, a, I'm just not a basketball fan. I don't think I'm going to watch that. But if I was working with a particular team, I'd probably get more and more into it, you know, because I want to see them kick ass because of what I'm helping them do. I don't know. So, um, no, and I think business-wise, I mean, getting in the field, I think 
and with with any business, I think people they 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 have this pipe dream, and they all see all they think about is income, and they don't think about cost. And that's in retail. That's yeah. in nobody ever thinks about cost. And that's you know I'm just talking that because I was just crunching numbers for my taxes this this year, and whew, my my cost to run my facility, which is small. I mean, Lonnie, you've been here. It was it was more than the average person makes where I'm at. <laughs> it's oh what boy. it costs to run it. Yeah. And you know I'm not in a huge facility that that has a lot of overhead. So right. So Joe, what uh, what about JL? What were some of the juicy tidbits that he had? What what was he dishing out that was good? Uh, I like his. I like listening to his perspective because I mean he's been a pretty high level powerlifter before, but he doesn't look at things through the lens of, you know, he's not just trying to make you know a eleven year old volleyball player do what we love doing, you know exactly. And, uh, you know, he understands uh, a lot of what his talk was, was talking about how, and you kind of mentioned a little bit of it last week on the show, was uh, the kind of the pyramid of building uh, kind of that kind of general physical preparedness base and then moving up to uh, strength-specific type stuff and then moving up to the top of the pyramid being skill-specific and kind of how we, a lot of it in America, we do it kind of backwards and we take an eight-year-old kid who doesn't even know how to walk in a straight line and we're like sending him to like 12 skills camps a week and trying to get him to you know do all this crazy stuff and and one other thing jail kind of touched on feeding into that was like a lot of the kids that are going to be pro athletes and be that high athlete like there's only so much we're going to do to like make that or break that like most of those kids as long as they can stay healthy and basically you know not get screwed up like they have the you know, the genetic and, and, you know, the skill potential to get there. So, you know, the best thing we could do is stop trying to make every young kid into a, into a pro athlete when they're seven or eight and, you know, start building the base first. Cause you know, like you guys have talked about and like Phil, you've talked about is like strength, such a good base. I mean, if you can have a kid that basically learns how to be coordinated, learns how to jump and land and learns how to be strong and move stuff and squat down, you know, he can then take that or she can take that any route that they want to take it. But, you know, if you, if you lock a kid in the room and make them just do the same thing over and over again from when they're a little kid, you know, you're, you're really limiting them and you're opening up to injuries and a lot of stuff like that. So uh, that was kind of a general gist of kind of what he was touching on. And then he talked about basically how different parts of an athlete's career, whether they're beginner, intermediate or advanced, you change the specificity of what you're working on. So beginners, you're going to get away with, uh, they're going to get stronger just doing sets of 10, you know, just basic stuff. You don't need to be doing anything crazy. You don't need to be doing conjugate programming. You just, they just need to lift and they're going to get better. And then as you progress to more advanced stuff, then they can start doing, you know, some different things to, to help keep pushing them along. But, uh, I think a good thing for all the students to hear was that, yeah, like if you have an, a beginner, they don't need to be doing anything crazy, insane, complicated. They need a balanced program and they need some volume and a good point that he brought up that I thought was pretty cool was just calculating, like, basically the weight moved in a workout of if you take a kid who can only bench 90 pounds and you try and have him do classic max effort work and work up to a heavy single, he's probably going to do, like, three singles and be done. So, you know, he's only got those three, you know, whatever ends up being 70, 80, 90-pound benches or whatever. But if you had him do sets of you know four sets of 10 with a lighter weight he's going to get way more work in at the level he's at than he would just trying to push heavy singles you know and then when somebody gets stronger if you got somebody with a 600 pound bench press now you can get more out of you know less basically but a lot of the beginners need some just some volume you learn how to do it right and i thought that was a really good point and some good reminders for me too yeah when he mentioned that i thought of uh a conversation we've all had, we've all had, and, and Phil, I, I actually think of Phil the most. I'm not, I don't know why, about the crazy volume when you're a beginner. You know, maybe maybe there's uh, some kind of fateful luck there when you were you were on the physique side of thing. You just put in an enormous amount of volume, just crazy um, every angle, every lift, every machine, you know, in the gym and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, that's got to be better than. Do, doing something that's so intense or so specific that there's just no volume at all, you know, for yeah. someone who's build, trying to start off building a physique. 
Oh, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's something I have to work with and I have to explain to my clients and, and remind myself at times. Like, you know, Joe just said it was a good reminder to him. It's, I have a lot of people and kids that they have no business training and doing exactly what I'm doing, you know, because they're at a totally different level than me. I mean, I've been asked, you know, well, why didn't my workout look like yours? Well, it's because you're benching 135 and squatting 185. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. And you just started. I've been at this. You know, I've been competing in powerlifting for a decade. Um, you know, so so the training looks totally different, and, and you know when you're pulling seven hundred plus pounds and squatting six hundred plus pounds and benching you know fours and fives, uh, like like Joe just said about um, that they were talking about, it's you you get a lot more out of lower reps at times. Um, you can do less and get away with it because the, the sheer amount of weight you're moving almost demands it. You can only work so much yeah. at that height. Right? Well, strength uh, and even skill. I mean, I can go in the gym. Like, I just had a really good sort of bodybuilder-esque workout. You know, I'm not impressing anybody with this. 800-pound, like, uh, not squats, <laughs> leg presses, you know. I was going to say. Focusing <laughs> on negatives, you know, a lot of that sort of thing in um, – I'm going to be ruined tomorrow. I could probably ruin my set, I bet, myself in about three sets if I really wanted to. Like super oh, yeah. sore the next day. And you know, I don't think a beginner can do that. I, I'm not no. sure, you know, or maybe an intermediate can start. But, yeah, you really get the idea about how to get that muscle in the most tense position, you know, and just annihilate it if you want to. You know, I know Fortress has talked about that before, too. You can just trash yourself. But Yeah, and I think, like, it – uh it kind of goes into and thinking about like athletes and lifters in terms of skill level or like experience level. So like beginners, intermediates, advanced, it, it just gives you such a better perspective about programming and stuff. Cause I think it's so easy, especially with how everyone loves, you know, arguing on the internet and stuff about just saying that this program sucks, this program's good. And it's kind of like, well, that, that's kind of a blanket statement. You know, it's, there's programs that are good for certain people. And like you said, Phil, like, a program that's good for you with pulling over 700 pounds is going to be a lot different than a program that's good for a girl you got that's starting off and just pulling 135. So I think it, if people thought of it that way, it would, it would give them a lot more versatility with programming because then they would start, they would stop just trying to like say stuff sucks and they'd just be like, all right, well, you know, this sucks for you right now, yeah, exactly. maybe three years down the road, then you can start rotating some lifts or something. But yeah, like right now, this is not for you. It's not that it doesn't work. It's just it won't work for you. Yeah. Reminder to me, all the people that go out and, you know, they see, the, I don't know, some young aspiring powerlifter that just started. He's like, well, I want to do the workout Dan Green's doing. Well, you don't need to do Dan Green's workout. Yeah. You, know? you need to put in 15 years. That's bodybuilding too, brother. Workout. You know, yeah. You know, they yeah. look at a magazine. Yeah, they end up doing 25 sets <laughs> Of chest, yeah. you know, and you're like, what? What you? What you just yeah. do to yourself? Exactly. Yeah. Everybody wants to go from beginner to to elite in overnight. Yeah. yeah. But JL said something I thought was very mature, and he actually, I mentioned this last week. He said, you know, powerlifters. He doesn't even consider powerlifters athletes in the way a lot of the kids that he works with are athletes. You know, I mean, he is one large mammal, but he's obviously gotten over himself. You know, and he's like, these kids don't need to do what I do. You know, the powerlifting approach that he follows uh, is not really what's needed necessarily, you know, in a lot of these young people. But, uh, Rob, you and I have talked many times about whether or not bodybuilding is a sport, you know, or bodybuilders are athletic per se. But mm -hmm. he was the first time I really, he's really kind of laid in. Powerlifters, you know, are not necessarily athletic if you define it as, you know, your body position in in space or other uh, interacting with other ob objects coming and going and you know that sort of thing and um, interesting well, perspective. Yeah, and you know I've, I've I've you know been engaged with some of these arguments on on the internet and so forth where people are you know suggesting that that <clears throat> powerlifters are not athletes and that, but of course they're coming at it from completely idiotic you know vantage points. Um, you know the whole perma bulker kind of thing. Um, yeah, but I mean, in my opinion, of course, powerlifters are athletes. In my opinion, but I mean, I I appreciate the kind of argument that he's making. But yeah, well, yeah. I I, I, I would say more so than bodybuilders, you know. So yeah, I think part of what he was doing too is just kind of illustrate a point of it's so easy for us because we all love strength so much and we love putting weight on the bar. And I think it's like just 
trying to keep the perspective of like the athletes need to get stronger, but it's also like if we get hurt trying to squat 700 pounds, that's our competition yes. lift. So it's like we can get hurt and obviously it's not ideal, but like it, we live with it. If we hurt an athlete who's a volleyball player trying to squat something they shouldn't be squatting, it's like, man, that was that just wasn't worth it. So I think he's just kind of kind of draw the kind of help draw context of just how we train athletes to not let our love for strength overwhelm it too much. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And I have to deal with that. You know, I got some fairly high level baseball kids that I deal with, and you know, their parents bring them in. And one of the first things I have to tell them is, it's you know, my number one job, yes, is work on their strength. But if what I'm working with them on isn't helping their their game on the field, then I'm I'm not doing my job. That's our number. I don't care how strong I make them at, at a squat or whatever. If it's not transferring, it, it's worthless. And uh, it's okay if one of my powerlifters gets hurt in the gym. More okay than if I hurt a baseball player in the gym. You know, I'd rather if he's going to get hurt, he needs to get hurt playing baseball. Right. That's his sport. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. everything has to be. My number one goal for a baseball player is to make them better at baseball. I'm going to do that through strength training, but it's it's going to be different than than with my baseball. It is funny, uh, though. Or Island Games athletes or Olympic it, It's hard to let go of your biases, though, and not superimpose them, isn't it? Because, oh, I mean, yeah. I think about yeah. that. Like, when I've worked with football teams before, I'm like, we need to get you guys a bigger engine. You guys need more muscle mass. Here's how we're going to eat. Here's And I'm like, wait, you know, that's... It, that's a secondary kind of thing, you know. Is it good? Yeah, I think there's a time for that during the year, sure. But yeah, yeah. If it's not yeah. making them better at their position, um, the way you know, the way I've dealt with it is I, I think of myself, and you know, my sport is squat, bench, deadlift. Right now, every once in a while, it's Highland Games, but uh, you know, so everything else is assistance work. Um, their sport is swinging a bat, catch the ball. Squat and bench and deadlifting is assistance work. You know, so and you know, I give the same heart to that assistance work for them as I do me. Yeah, I get it in, but it's it's punching the clock and and doing it right. I'm not going to hurt myself doing a freaking good morning or you know doing some curls or some chin ups. You know, I'm not going to push it to that level. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay, Joe, I have one last question for you as we start to wind down here. Um, what do you learn as an organizer? Uh, was this your first big event? Because I mean, you maxed it out. Yeah, we, uh, that's the first time we've run anything related to that here at the university. And I, uh, I've just, I had a big passion for it, obviously, just because I, I love strength and conditioning and I love lifting. Uh, so it combined some presentations about strength and conditioning with teaching people how to squat, bench, deadlift was, uh, pretty much the perfect scenario for me in my mind. So, um, and it's just amazing how many exercise science students graduate not knowing the first thing about how to teach a squat bench or deadlift or have never done it before. And obviously it's not, you know, that's not, you're not going to have everybody doing those things specifically, but pretty much most programs are built off those three things. So if you don't know how to do that, you're going to be in big trouble. Um, so, you know, as I put it together, my goal for it was just to get the exercise science students thinking. I didn't expect them to learn everything in one day, but just like I had a lot of them come up to me and just said, you know, I never knew how much went into this stuff. And I even had some of my coworkers come over and go, you know, I was watching some of the coaching for the squat, bench, and deadlift. I'm like, I didn't know that it was that, and you know, there was that much that went into it. And it's so it's cool to get people at least thinking. And that's why I try to encourage students during that was, you know, this is just to kind of get you springboarded to, you know, start, you know, doing things like listen to this show, go read articles on EFTS, you know, whatever you end up doing, you know, whether it's just paying more attention in your classes, you know. You know, try not to coast through learning stuff. I think it's easy for students that are, you know, halfway through their undergrad to, you know, feel pretty good about themselves and then think, oh, well, you know, I kind of got it figured out. And it's like, you know, none of us will ever have it totally figured out. So there's plenty to learn. So, yeah. And you know um, what? I think especially because you mentioned a lot of them, they don't really know how to coach somebody. Coaching is a, in many ways a different field from exercise physiology. You know, yeah. exercise physiology is about energy systems and metabolism. There's all this stuff, you know, biomechanics and other things, but they don't always get a lot of opportunity. I mean, I had a couple of students say, I think we were taught how to bench press wrong. Julia, there was so much nuance to this, you know, and I think she's doing this sort of, you know, retract and depress the scapula and, you know, almost like more of a, a powerlifting kind of bench. And I'm like, well... It depends on the person's goals and, you know, and that sort of thing. But, yes, there is a lot that goes into this. And I don't think they really ever had a lot of 
maybe not as many opportunities with for the hands-on uh, part of the coaching, right. you know. Yeah, and like one of the things too that me and JL were talking about afterwards was, uh, you know, so many. Uh, one of the things I tried to emphasize to him too was like, obviously you guys want to learn how to squat, bench, deadlift better, or you know, at least they should. But you know, a big part of it was not just what we're coaching; it's how they're coaching it. So you know, I told him I was like, you know, even if somebody else is getting taught one of the movements and laying on the bench, don't just stand there and look at the floor. You know, watch how Julia or one of you guys is is coaching them because. You know, like you said, like coaching's an art. I mean, you gotta you gotta know how to do it correctly. And you could be this, the, you could be an awesome lifter, and you could know all the information in the world, and you could just be a horrible coach. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things we were talking about was how, especially in this day and age, and I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Is you know, we spend so much time on our phones and social media and all this stuff that it's like, you know, sometimes you get kids, you try and start getting them to coach, and or even train with you, and you know, you got to tell a kid like, Hey, put your cell phone in your bag. And you know, you need to be constantly (laughs) cueing people, watching people, helping people. And I think that's one of the hardest things with strength conditioning right now is like getting these kids to understand like, Hey, when you go to an internship, it was like, I tell my students, you better lock your phone in your bag or a locker. You better be ready to go run around and clean stuff, load plates, constantly be watching somebody close spotting, you know, be learning how to cue people, you know, stuff like that. So that was a big thing was like, yeah, like you said, I mean, they might not be teaching an athlete exactly that way to bench, but it was more so like, how do I start to look at people doing movements and kind of correct it from there? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I, as far as that kind of stuff goes, I really always felt that coaching, and I bet Phil will agree with this. It's an apprenticeship, you know, you apprentice under, uh, people better than yourself or more experienced at coaching than yourself. You know, and that's just you can't take that out of um, out of strength coaching. You know what I mean? You yeah. can. I mean, the, I'm I'm a huge believer, and I know all you guys are. Is if you can't explain why you're doing what you're doing to the athlete or the client, then you need some more education. But you know, there has to be that balance too with a lot of these cues and yeah, and the sort yeah. of the, the emotional support and all this sort of thing. You know that uh, yeah, you just got to have both it's sides. As much of as becoming an athlete, you're not going to become an athlete. I can't take someone and turn them into a very good athlete over a weekend. There's no way I can take somebody and turn them into a coach over a weekend either. That's a good point. It yep. takes years and time. And yep. it also takes, I mean, in my opinion, it takes multiple teachers. And that's yep. one of the reasons I travel around the country and the freaking world so much. And and I'd spend months here. And then, okay, I'm going to spend a couple months here. Okay, I'm going to go up and spend a couple months here. And you learn Every coach has a different way of doing things, and you get all these tools in your toolbox then from working with different people. Because um, a big, a huge part of coaching is just verbal cues and visual yeah. cues. You know, one person you can ninety percent of the time you can't teach the same move to do two different people saying the same things because they just don't get it. You know, you Phil, have multiple cues you can shoot out. People will talk about gym science like it's bro science, but I think what we're saying here is there's got to be a certain amount of gym science. Yeah. You know, uh, it, and by saying that, I mean facts and skills that are handed down by watching someone else do it, you know, and them helping you then do it. Yeah. You know, it can't all be book learning. I, I mean, yeah. I, I can't I don't want to I can't underemphasize or overemphasize how important it is to actually get the why in the book learning. Yeah. But oh, yeah, it's a, it's a big mix for sure. I mean, yeah, big mix. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you find, too, I think that like you may not notice it initially but then you look back and you figure out that some of the stuff you were learning in the books that you actually figure out how you're applying it i mean you know you learn in some classes about you know how people are visual learners kinesthetic learners you know audio you know uh learners and you figure out as you learn to coach people that you start understanding actually how that looks in practice that some people you can just say a cue you know knees out and they're going to do it other people you need to be like showing them constantly and, you know, kind of all those different angles. So I think it's almost kind of like when you first learn it in the books, unless you go do it, you truly don't understand it. But once you do it in the gym, then you understand it a hundred percent, you know? Yeah. Not like think about things like nervous system potentiation or the stretch reflex, you know, and yeah, we're actually toying with some of that stuff, even in the lab now to feel it. Like you said, some people are just kinesthetic. Once you perform it, you're like, oh. Or like, think about it. You can read about Wingate tests until you're blue in the face. But that's not the same as going to do one. You know, you do one of those all-out yeah. bike sprints, and you're going to remember it, you know. So, 
listen, Joe, I've got one last thing for you here, and we might have you on um, in the future to discuss this more because I think it deserves more attention than this. But um, I mentioned earlier that you like lifting raw and equipped. Um, how come you're not biased toward one side or the other? Why do you like both? <laughs> I know it probably – I thought about like when you mentioned that we might talk about. It, I was like, I should just go on and try and like blast as many people as possible. That way, a lot of people <laughs> listen to the show. Be like, hey, you know, West Side sucks. Raw Unity sucks. Everybody sucks. <laughs> so I, uh, um, no, I I enjoy them both. Uh, I I've always been primarily when I started. I've been lifting raw, and I think that um, one of the things I will say is I think I've seen a lot of people and. You know, this is why I'm glad I kind of waited till now to start playing around with the gear a little bit. Is there's a lot of people that never build a raw base before they jump into gear, and I think that's a big mistake. So I yeah. think I like training. I think that training raw. I mean, if you have a good raw base and you're a strong guy and a raw lifter, I mean, there's. I mean, Jim Wendler's talked about it before. It's like you can throw the gear on, and you know, you're gonna have a lot easier time figuring it out than somebody who can't squat you know 200 pounds and they're trying to put multiply gear on um so i think a lot of it is like there's a time and a place and i think i've seen you know i've got people that i know that are west side lifters i got people that i know that just compete at raw unity you know i've got i've got friends you know obviously like i work with elite fts there's a lot of geared lifters so you know i've kind of gotten perspectives from a lot of people and i've seen that there's pretty much a right way and a wrong way to do both and I think sometimes people easily look at the wrong way, like, oh, this geared lifter is just, you know, they're just sloppy and just throwing on all the gear, and all they ever do is squat singles in full gear. Or, you know, this raw lifter is, you know, only squatting X amount or whatever. And I think it's kind of, if you paint them with a broad brush and you just totally, you know, block out one side or the other, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because I think there's some things you can learn from both of them. And, uh, I've noticed that with my training right now, because I haven't, I'm about to start meat uh, meat cycle, but for right now it's still kind of like I guess off season you'd call it. And basically what I was doing was training bench raw, deadlift raw, and then uh, deadlift conventional raw, bench raw, and then squatting and briefs, and then still doing some raw squatting work. And I think just squatting the briefs actually helped me with my raw lifts quite a bit. I went back and I did some raw squats just for some fives and stuff, and I was like, geez, I'm like I'm I kind of expected it to be a little worse than it was. And I think, um, and, and even when you look at guys that kind of lifted at the advent of, of gear starting, you know, they lifted raw and then they put the minimum amount of gear on they needed. And then right before the meet, they'd get used to having straps up and stuff. And I think that's kind of the path I'm going to take of, you know, I found that kind of using minimal gear, I have briefs that are like seven years old. My buddy gave me and, uh, they basically do just enough to let me squat wider. So training that, get stronger in those, and learn the groove I need to be in. And then every four weeks or so, throw on the full suit and, uh, and you know, make sure I'm getting enough practice with that. But I think I think incorporating a little bit of both has been a good ex- just learning experience for me. Um, I know I used to be more on the side of just, like, I, I could never understand why people want to do geared lifting. And then after I've tried it, I've kind of – there's things I like and don't like about it, but – I've kind of seen the things I do enjoy about it. No, I, I think most of the people, most of the people that are harping either on the side of gear or, or not, you know, the raw lifters or the equipped lifters, most of them aren't the high-level lifters. <laughs> most yeah. of the high-level people I know, they're just lifters. They, they don't care if you're raw or, or, or equipped. You know, just, as long as we're lifting, it doesn't really matter. It's just it's choosing your sport. They are two different sports. Um, I'm one of the few raw lifters I know that I train 90% of my time in a pair of power pants, so a pair of briefs. And it's because I got bad freaking hips. But yeah. Yeah. And it translates well to my, and my squad is now bigger than it's ever been, despite a hip that should have been replaced several years ago. That's what intrigues and, me, Phil, is I admit, I'm a, uh, Joe, you and I were talking about this, just something kind of beginner, single ply, kind of something or other. Just to see if I can't overcome some of this joint stiffness, you know, and problems like that, and just throw a little bit more weight on and uh, use it like a tool almost. Oh, yeah. You know? I think you definitely can, especially on like, I got the entry level power pants, and they maybe give me 15, 20 pounds. Not a lot. But, you know, I'll train with them in just light, like, ace bandage wraps, and come, come meet time, four weeks out, I get out of them, and I can squat more 
than I ever did. You That's know? intriguing. And I'm, I'm not yeah. in them for those last four weeks, and I'm in my competition wraps, and I'm fine with just a belt and wraps. But I'm healthy. My hips feel good. Yeah, you know? yeah, so. that's the same here. Like, I mean, my my hip has always been my biggest thing that holds me back in training, and I beat it up really easily if I'm not careful. And it's like when I I can't squat super wide, which you know when I'm raw, and I mean most people can't. So you know, putting on just a kind of an old pair of briefs that were just just enough compression to let me do it. I think you know a, a thing that I like doing in training and helped my raw squat quite a bit was I basically work up to. You know, heavy five, heavy triple, maybe a heavy single, um, you know, do a few heavy reps in the briefs and then take the briefs off and do um, some fives or eights raw with a closer stance as kind of some down sets. And uh, I found that, like, I did that for a couple, I usually put my training like four-week blocks. I did a couple four-week blocks of that, and I just playing around with my regular just competition raw squat just for some reps and you know I was hit like PR triple and I was like yeah I mean I think it's it's easy for people to think like if you touch gear immediately your raw strength disappears but it's like <laughs> if you're if you're in you know if you're putting on you know heavy knee wraps you know super thick briefs and your suit straps up every week yeah you're gonna yes. get pretty weak raw but it's like if you use it as a tool and use it smart I mean you're, I just think if you're responsible, your raw strength should not totally dissipate. I mean, no. obviously, if your goal, you know, for somebody who their goal is to set a geared world record, obviously their concern does not need to be their raw, you know, max. But, yeah, I mean, I, the people that I've seen that their raw strength totally disappeared, it's because they were not doing assistance work, not doing, you know, extra volume, and kind of I think it's neglecting those things is what makes your raw strength totally disappear. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, it's not like you're driving a race car. You know what I mean? It's like the car is just doing it all. The people the people that do that and those kind of mistakes you're just talking about, it almost makes me think of like a race car driver. He's not he's not moving fast. The car is, you know, and they're just over-relying on the equipment, I guess. The high-level guys in gear are physically very strong raw. Yep. I think there are some people, like Joe talked about earlier, a lot of them get, got into it too early. There's a lot of kids that jump in, and they use it as an excuse, and now they think they're strong they, because their squat went from 215 to 500. You know? <laughs> yeah. So they jumped into it way too early, and, uh, you know, I see problems there. But uh, but those are worst-case scenarios problems. If you're squatting 1,000 freaking pounds, you're strong. You know? Right. <laughs> I don't care what you're doing. <laughs> right. So. right. And I think, like, an important thing, too, that, like, the people need to realize that they don't really look at the actual training of some of the top-level gear guys is – a lot of those guys, in order to get from, like, they might have been, you know, you know, when I put on, you know, my squat, raw squat being a little under 600 when I put the gear on, you know, I was able to, the first time, you know, obviously squat about 100 pounds more than I could before, you know, so you get that initial carryover, but then to get from 800 to 900 now, I'm going to have to be very calculated. I mean, yeah, you can, you know, you can put tighter, newer gear on and get a little more out of it, but if you're just trying to rely on that, I mean, it's like some people that, you know, I've, that I've known in the past that, you know, that are using, you know, the other type of gear and all they do is up the dose constantly to get, they, you know, I'm at a plateau, I need to up my dose. And it's like, you can only do that to a certain point and then, you know, you're, it's not going to keep working. You know, if yeah. you, the guys, the high level guys that I know that got from a 900 geared squat to a thousand was because they did raw work in their off season, you know, they did the little things. And then it helped them get to that point. I think not enough people look at that through the big picture, you know. Right. Well, it's like the whole, you know, adage that we've had, you know, some past veteran lifters say. I mean, there there comes a point in time where, you know, if if you just have to get stronger. Yep. You know, you can look at every other, you know, uh, means to kind of like you're saying to put weight on, you know, cheating, if you will. But there is going to become a point where. You just have to suck it up and get stronger. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yep, definitely. All right, fellas. Show. Yep. We went over nice just a little bit, but it, yeah. it was worth it. Yep. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I think it was good, uh, good kind of broad. I mean, it was all kind of related, but it was good, uh, good broad topics, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it'll be a good show. So until next time, everybody, I'm out. All righty. Thanks, guys.
Hey, sports nutrition fans, join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21 for the 11th annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You'll learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.